0: Welcome to Halloween Night 1994, the podcast that remembers all things Halloween in the 90s, through pop culture, movies, history, and some childhood nostalgia. Because there was no better time than Halloween Night in 1994. On this episode, we're talking about a movie that I did not watch in the 90s, but I've heard it rivals Hocus Pocus for the ultimate childhood Halloween movie. That movie is 1998's Halloween Town. As always, we'll chat movie history, learn about the cast and the folks who created the film, and then count down the 90s things about it in our Nothing But 90s segment. And stick around to the very end for a few 90s product placements, too. Alright, pour yourself some apple cider, you can add a little bourbon if you're feeling extra festive, and tune in to our Halloween Town Talk. When black cats howl and monsters roar, it's Halloween night, 1994. The idea behind Halloween Town began with a question. Where do all the creatures from Halloween go the rest of the year when it's not October 31st? Executive producer Sherry Singer's stepdaughter asked this, and Singer decided it was a worthy question to answer. The movie also explores that tricky teen concept of being yourself. Fun fact about this Halloween movie— I, a self-proclaimed fan of Halloween and all things 90s, had never seen it until this year, 2021. That's because we did not have cable TV growing up, and Halloween Town is a Disney Channel original movie. But because of the hype surrounding the movie, I added it to my list of potential episode topics when the very first pumpkin seeds of this podcast were planted in my mind. Would it hold up to the hype it has gained over the years? And would it hold up to my memories of a 90s Halloween? Well, listen in to find out. Halloween Town is the first in a four-movie series, Spoiler alert, I have not watched the other three. And though I didn't experience the hype firsthand for any of them, it's important to note that Halloween Town was one of the first Disney Channel original movies. Halloween Town and its sequels sit next to other movies like those high school musical movies, Johnny Tsunami, and the Xenon movies. The Disney Channel has been making movies since its beginnings in 1983. Back then, they were called Disney Channel premiere films. From 1997 onwards, these movies were branded as Disney Channel Original Movies, or DCOMs. Here's the thing I was born in the late 80s, so for me, the year 2000 was the real dividing line between being a kid and being a teen. Sure, I didn't have the right channel to watch them, but these Disney Channel movies that I could have watched at a friend's house just didn't resonate with me because when the DCOMs were hitting their strides in the early 2000s, I was already too cool for them, watching Felicity and such. But let's get into a plot summary. And remember, spoiler alert. It's Halloween night, 1998. 13 year old Marnie Piper, self proclaimed lover of weird things, and her siblings aren't allowed to celebrate Halloween, ever. And this particular Halloween, Marnie wants to go to a friend's costume party, but her mom, Gwen, is not having it. Throughout all of this, we get a hint of Marnie's younger brother Dylan's personality, total narc and see a hint of something strange happening with her youngest sibling, Sophie, as Sophie sort of telepathically makes a cookie float to her. Grandma Agatha Cromwell, Gwen's mom, shows up for her annual Halloween visit, and she is kind of magical, with some dark gifts from Arnie, and quirky habits like hanging up a string of garlic. And she's all about Halloween. Grandma Agatha, or Aggie, reads the kids a bedtime storybook titled Halloween Town, a town where witches, warlocks, vampires, and other monsters live together. It's illustrated, and there's a drawing of a witch that looks mysteriously just like Marnie, which is totally cool for Marnie, who loves weird things. But Aggie is like, hmm, how about that, wink wink, Later that evening, Marnie overhears Gwen and Aggie having a little argument in the kitchen, as adults do, about how Aggie, Gwen, and Marnie are all witches, and the clock is ticking on Marnie's witch training. Oh, also, some strange things in Halloween Town are happening, and Aggie wants the help of her daughter. Gwen just wants her kids to be normal, though. Marnie sneaks out, following Aggie onto a magical bus out of Mortal World and into Halloween Town. Of course, her younger siblings sneak along too. In Halloween Town, they lose track of their grandma, but they do meet some interesting townspeople, including the mayor, Calabar, who used to date their mom, and Benny, a skeleton that drives a cab. Somehow, the skeleton driving a cab was more believable to me than Calabar dating their mom. Anyways, once they reunite with Aggie, they see a bit of her magical life and how she's trying to brew up some magic to figure out what's going on. Gwen shows up, looking to bring her kids safely home, but in an attempt to stop the evil that's been wreaking havoc on Halloween Town, both Aggie and Gwen fall under an evil spell. Are Marnie's powers, with help from her siblings, strong enough to save her family and Halloween Town? Yeah, they are. A 2018 Bustle article titled, quote, Why Halloween Town is Such a Timeless DCOM, according to its cast and crew, end quote, describes the movies as quote, three generations of women joining forces to battle against evil. End quote. And that's pretty much exactly what these ladies and Dylan do. Originally, the script was written for NBC and had a darker ending where Marnie had to travel into a forest, getting older and older as she tried to save Halloween Town. <laughs> Aging, the scariest thing a kid could face. NBC ended up saying no thanks, but five years later, Disney said yes. That green light required some updates, though. The movie had to be more family-friendly, and the budget was cut significantly. The film was directed by Dwayne Dunham, who also directed Little Giants and Homeward Bound, by the way, not to mention several episodes of Twin Peaks. He's actually a frequent David Lynch collaborator. Dunham also has some editing credits to his name. Movies like Return of the Jedi, The Empire Strikes Back, and A New Hope, plus Raiders of the Lost Ark. Dunham said a lot had to change about the movie when it became a DCOM, and it had to happen fast, in about two weeks. One of the few expensive things that they kept, though, was Benny the taxi driver, a robot that the crew built. And he was operated by two people, one person working the mouth and the other working the hand or some other part, depending on what the shot was. Benny was voiced by Reno Romano, Romano also voiced the original, English dub, of Tuxedo Mask from the Sailor Moon anime TV show. Whoa, 90s throwback. Who else is a part of the Halloween Town cast? Well, the first person cast was the amazing Debbie Reynolds as powerful witch and cool grandma Agnes Cromwell. Another Agnes, and close friend of Debbie Reynolds, Agnes Moorhead, played a famous witch too, and Dora, Samantha's mom on Bewitched, a show I watched often during the 90s because I didn't have the Disney Channel. Kimberly J. Brown starred as Marnie and would continue to star as Marnie in the second and third of the four movies. I read fans were not happy that she was recast for the fourth installment, and I get that. Joey Zimmerman and Emily Rosk I might be saying that wrong, sorry, starred as Dylan and Sophie, respectively. Robin Thomas starred as Mayor Calabar, and Judith Hogue starred as Gwen, who looks kind of familiar, right? She was April O'Neil in 1990's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And she was in Armageddon, Oh, and, uh, she did miss a thing. She missed the premiere of Armageddon to film Halloween Town. Only true Armageddon fans will get that little Aerosmith reference. And well, that's a non-Halloween 90s reference, so it looks like it's time to count down the most 90s things about Halloween Town in nothing but 90s. Remember, Nothing But 90s is a list of things that remind me of the 1990s. Not just classic 90s stuff, but I promise it's somehow 90s related at all times. Starting with number four on Nothing But 90s The Music of Halloween Town by Mark Mothersbaugh. I see the world in stories. Books, podcasts, theme parks, conversations. Everything is a story. It's how I take things in. Movies are special stories to me because they encompass multiple senses. Sight, sound, you know. Sound effects really place you into a movie scene, but music creates so much of the story atmosphere, too. Not to compare but the music of a Halloween movie like Hocus Pocus has a much more sort of timeless sound. Halloween Town, on the other hand, sounds so very 90s television. And this is not a knock at all, I actually think it's great. Plus, shout out to my husband for articulating a reason why it sounds so 90s, that electronic sound sort of mimicking a real orchestra. And props, of course, to Mark Mothersbaugh. Up until researching for this episode, I only knew him as frequent Wes Anderson collaborator and Devo band member. So imagine my surprise when I saw his name in the credits. This feels very fortuitous, and this is definitely not gonna be about Halloween Town for like a few minutes here, but uh, (laughs) one of the first films I ever saw that made me think, oh, this is really something was Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic back in 2004. And you know how they say the music you listen to in high school is the music you'll forever associate with? Yeah, that's me and Wes Anderson movies. I'm forever a fan, guilty as charged. The characters, the sets, the costumes, the story, the music, of course. Everything is so perfectly realized or pretty darn close to perfect. And the music of The Life Aquatic is essentially a mix of 60s and 70s pop songs, plus Portuguese language covers of David Bowie songs, and music composed by Mark Mothersbaugh. Mothersbaugh's music matches the whimsical but melancholy, epic and eccentric nature of The Life Aquatic. Another film released in 1998 was Wes Anderson's Rushmore, which I retroactively fell in love with after The Life Aquatic. I listened to the music of Halloween Town and Rushmore, and I definitely hear the connection. What a fun discovery. And want to get extra nostalgia-y? Mark Mothersbaugh also composed the Rugrats theme song. I can't play it on this podcast for, you know, legal I guess, reasons, but I've linked it in the show notes. You're welcome. Back to our nothing but 90s list, and number three, the wardrobe. The first bit of wardrobe I noticed as super 90s was Marnie's outfit, definitely more late 90s. The sheer top over a tank top, the bright colors plus her (laughs) bangs… But the ultimate expression of 90s spooky fall is Aggie Cromwell's crushed red velvet cape and her dress. The cape has this celestial design embroidered on the inside of the hood. Its quirky aunt, or in this case grandma, bookshop dialed up to like 11. Perfect styling for a centuries-old witch bouncing around in the mortal 1990s and her magical expanding carpet bag. Her character is like a combination of Mary Poppins and Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. I might be making that connection because of the bus, but let's be real, Miss Frizzle had some magic up her sleeve, I'm pretty sure. The costumes were designed by Brienne Gleitov, again, pronunciation, who had designed costumes for operas, and she really brought the right level of theatricality to characters like Aggie and Calabar. I may be reading too much into things, but I never do that. But the outfits of Marnie and her siblings really say something about who they are. Marnie is dressed in colorful clothes. She's expressing herself as a young teen. Dylan, dressed in sort of drab clothes, he's the voice of, quote, reason of the siblings, and still mostly sides with their mom. Sophie wears plain clothes, but with a bright jacket. She's just starting to figure things out for herself. Maybe it means nothing, but I like to think it means something. Especially in a movie that celebrates a holiday about dressing up, and a movie with a message about being yourself. Oh, and we can't ignore Gwen's kind of 90s normcore outfit with a denim jacket that I may have myself. Hmm, well, she is trying to pass as a mortal after all. Number two on the nothing-but-90s countdown, Halloween Town and its Residence. I'm speaking here about the production design of this world and the people in it. Halloween Town was filmed mostly in the town of St. Helens, Oregon, a small town just outside of Portland, Oregon. Halloween is a big deal to St. Helens now. Each year they celebrate the Spirit of Halloween Town Festival from mid-September through the month of October, complete with an annual lighting of the big jack-o'-lantern in the city square, just like the one in the movie. Halloween Town reminds me of Stars Hollow, the town in Gilmore Girls, which is interesting because Jared Padalecki, who played Dean in Gilmore Girls, was up for the role of Cal in Halloween Town 2, which I know I haven't seen so I can't really comment on that. Maybe it's the white picket fence vibes of the town square, or maybe it's all the witch, warlock, and monster inhabitants bustling around just like the Star's Hollow folks. And yeah, I know Gilmore Girls started in 2000, but it was a great bridge show from the 20th century into the 21st century. I also enjoyed learning that the locals of St. Helens were very welcoming to the crew while filming. I mean, they must have been. They celebrate a festival for Halloween Town every year now. The color palette of the town is definitely colorful, but it sticks to a more muted harvest palette than darker, spookier colors. It feels like an alternate Halloween version of Toontown. If you've ever visited Disneyland, Disney World, or Tokyo Disney, you might know what I'm talking about. There's so many great shops and storefronts that Marnie and Co. visit while they're in Halloween Town. According to director Dunham, quote, the set design and production design was terrific, especially because we had no money to do it. It was all done with smoke and mirrors, end quote. I think it adds to the 90s charm, personally. What I love about the residents are their costumes and makeup. It's all practical, and it's all kind of over the top. A good example? The broom salesman. His face, his outfit, everything matches his personality. He's like this rockabilly kind of salesman. A car salesman for witches, really, if you think about it. It reminds me of the TV show Dinosaurs, with the costumes and the built sets. If this movie was made today, or had had a bigger budget back then, I wonder if a lot of this would just be digital. The charm would have definitely been lost. Finally, the most 90s thing about Halloween Town is the film's message. Halloween Town is a Disney Channel original movie, as we know, which by definition means it's on TV. And most things on TV for kids during the 90s had important messages to deliver. Watching this as an adult, my takeaway was to be yourself, even if yourself is different, something kid me would have appreciated. And adult me doesn't mind hearing it again either. We're hit with this message over and over again, we see it through Marnie's relationship with her mom, and Gwen's relationship with her own mom, Aggie. I admit, I kind of found Marnie's pushing against her mom a little over the top, though she had a good point when she said, quote, How are we supposed to grow up and explore the world? Try new stuff if we can't take some risks, end quote. I also think Gwen could have been way more transparent with her kids about who they are and why she's against Halloween. I admit I was kind of more intrigued by the boundaries Gwen set up with her mom and how Aggie respects them but like kind of doesn't. (laughs) I guess that's just me being in my 30s. Anyway, back to the message of being yourself. Aggie says it clearly for us when she states, quote, being normal is vastly overrated, end quote. And that message is there for us when we see how most witches, warlocks, goblins, and other ghouls are, like, really nice people, too. And even in the Luke-goblin subplot, the explanation of which I have cut for time, but trust me, being normal is vastly overrated. The story and character development are so well-crafted in relationship to this message. It's airtight. Again, not to compare this to Hocus Pocus, but I will. I read that critics consistently rank Halloween Town higher than Hocus Pocus, perhaps because of the clear message presented. But uh, fans regard Hocus Pocus as the better movie, because I think, You know, it's just offbeat and weird. I can't really say which movie I think is better, though I do have stronger feelings towards Hocus Pocus because I grew up watching it. But I do wonder what it would have been like to watch Halloween Town when I was just about the same age as Marnie. Thanks for listening along this season. These have been some of my favorite Halloween memories and experiences from the 90s. It's been great hearing about your memories, too. Oh, and I definitely worked on this episode while eating the Halloween candy that I bought for trick-or-treaters. Oops. Keep up to date with Halloween Night 1994 on Instagram at Halloween Night 1994, and on Twitter at HNight 1994. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow wherever you listen for more updates in the future. You can rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I hope you have a very spooky Halloween. And for our final installment of product placement this season. This was a tough one. Not much gets into these DCOMs, I guess, huh? But a good one was definitely the nod to the Disney theme parks and their animatronics in the scene where Benny the cab driver drops the kids off at their grandma's house in Halloween Town. Dylan says Benny must be an animatronic. And Marnie makes a crack about Lincoln, a reference to the animatronic presidents at Disneyland's Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln on Main Street, or maybe the Hall of Presidents in the Magic Kingdom. Hmm, not sure which. Perhaps the best product placement slash reference we got—that you might totally miss though. One of the monsters of Halloween Town says. Quote, So I raised a demon from the underworld, and they said, Big deal, I saw the same thing on Jerry Springer. End quote. And yeah, I think I saw that episode too.